Welcome into the Draft Report Podcast. I'm Jack Borowski, joined here alongside my co-host Sam Teets. On this episode, we discuss Washington versus Oregon, the quarterback race, who are the biggest risers from the week, take a look at Tyler Newbin's film from this season before finishing off the episode with the top prospects we've watched recently. Sam, we got to start by talking about... I would say one of the best games we've had all season between two juggernauts. You have, with the way USC played, the two best teams in in, in the Pac-12 in Oregon and Washington. And they delivered a lot of points, quarterbacks. I thought both played pretty well. You, you start to see a lot of really good wide receiver play on both teams, especially Washington. Even with Jalen McMillan out, uh, I, I thought th- they were phenomenal. And... It's just it just was a great game. I, I think both teams, you know, we'll, we'll see them again in, in the Pac-12 championship game. I I don't think it's a guarantee Washington wins again or, or that Oregon can, but I think it's going to be another really close game, uh, especially you know in a, a neutral site setting. So to start from a draft perspective, because you know most you know fans watched the the game and, and saw it was incredible maybe some controversial you know fourth down decisions by Dan Landing but I like the aggressiveness and just overall what were your thoughts quarterback play Michael Penix and Bo Nix did either raise their stock are their fathers for you did they kind of stay in the middle where are you at with how the two quarterbacks from this game played I haven't moved a ton on either one of them. Uh, I will say the one thing we were hoping to see in this game is see more of these guys under pressure and forced to work differently than they have in the past. You have guys who have tremendous offensive talent around them. Bo Nix obviously benefits from a lot of short game stuff at Oregon. Penix is a lot more vertical downfield shots. We were hoping to see them under pressure more often because they had been two of the least pressured quarterbacks in college football up to this point. And we were hoping to see how they would process and operate when dealing with defense linemen in their face. Now, I will say overall, I thought it was a very good game for some of the offensive linemen who are prospects. We'll get to those guys maybe a little bit later uh, in this conversation, but we did see both these guys under pressure. We saw Penix get hit. We saw Penix dealing with what looked like some kind of rib or abdominal pain at some point in in the course of the game. I came out impressed that neither one of these guys had like the back-breaking play. Now, Penix did throw an interception where there seemed to be a bit of a miscommunication with the receiver. Uh, So not, not the worst interception in the world in that case, but Neither of these guys made the boneheaded mistake that cost their team the game. I did find it interesting that Penix in the second half started to really struggle pushing the ball downfield because Oregon's defenders started getting to him a lot more often. I think we saw the accuracy break down a little bit for him in the second half. Uh, that's something that's going to be really interesting to go back and, and rewatch a couple of times to see how that played out. He, did, he was more inaccurate, I felt, in the second half. And that offense did, sp- uh, did sputter at times until the very end of the game where it takes two passes and, oh, look, you're in the end zone from, from 50 yards out. Bo Nix, on the other hand, Nix felt like he got more vertical as the game went on. They started off with a lot of short game. The offense kind of sputters at times. They get to the second half, and suddenly it's the Troy Franklin show, and you're throwing the ball up, and it's consistently going 20-plus yards downfield. I thought Nix was maybe the more... If we're looking at the overall portion of the game, Nix maybe had the better overall game, but I felt that Panks had the higher peaks throughout the course of the game. Not only from like just talking about like his leadership, as well as the fact he's playing through pain, he's playing through obviously not being 100% late in that game. And then he's coming up and making the clutch plays at the end to win the football game. So I feel like that's going to be something scouts are going to walk away impressed with. Oregon's part, I mean, Nick's, it's it's not necessarily his fault, but look, they did leave points on the board. They missed that for 
fourth down conversion. They left points on the board before halftime. There's going to be more criticism of Oregon as a whole coming out of this game uh, than it would have been had they had they taken some more of the easier route of less resistance. Yeah, I, I thought with, with both quarterbacks, they look good. I think it it's, makes things more difficult when you're actually going up against decent pass rushers because neither one of them has all season, really. they you know, When you have two of the best tackle duos in the country and you're not going up against high-end you know, pass rushers, it makes things very easy. When you have each one of them ha- has really, really good wide receivers. A lot of guys to throw to who are always open. I came away, yeah, not thinking anything special of either. No one, I don't think either one was better, much better than the other. I thought both of them flashed what they're really good at. And I don't believe either one of them's a first round quarterback or really should be considered there. I wonder if Penix gets the same Hendon Hooker treatment we saw last year, where during the season, I felt like everyone's like, oh, Hendon Hooker is a riser and definitely could be a day two quarterback. And then by the end of it, on draft night, you were hearing people who are very well connected within the space saying there's a shot he's off the board by, you know, Tennessee at 11, you know, and he ended up going in the third round, which is, you know, where he should have gone in the first place. You could argue even without the injury, he should have gone there. So I wonder if that happens with him. I can't see that really happening with Knicks. I think he is a D2 quarterback and probably more third round than second. You just, with the two of them, it's very easy. Their jobs are not difficult. Outside of this game, they really won't face much of anything. And think about, you know, you play USC. Sam Hartman looks like the best deep ball passer in the country when he goes up against USC. (laughs) So, you know, it's, not that difficult. They don't have difficult jobs. I don't think that they handle pressure well. We've seen it already with Bo Nix. You can't you 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 can't totally disregard what happened at Auburn because I think that's who he is. It's in him. It always will be. And I think during the pre-draft process, scouts are going to have to get to the bottom of all right. When he faces pressure, does he just completely fold? Because against Georgia last year, at every game at Auburn, it seems that when the pressure was on, when guys were getting after him, which is going to happen when the offensive line Auburn did, and when Georgia's whole line was going up against Georgia, he does not see the field well. He makes in, uh, poor decisions. He's inaccurate, and he's just not an NFL caliber quarterback. But when you're going up against Stanford, you see the tools that make him, you know, a potential top 100 pick. And similar to Penix, Penix got, you know. You know, a left tackle and a right tackle who could both be top 100 picks. He's got three wide receivers who are superstars who we're going to talk about in a second. And the job is very easy for him. So uh, I think both of them solidified themselves as more day two than day one prospects. I do think Nick's is a third rounder. That's where I've had him kind of penned in for a little while now. I still think that based on what I saw yesterday. I haven't changed my opinion on that. Penix, I think, could still be more of a like a mid to late second rounder. I think his his pre-draft process and like if he goes to one of these all-star games, I think will mean more uh, than Nick's, in my opinion. I feel comfortable that I know who Nick's is. I think Panics, depending on what he looks like taken out of this scheme where he's throwing to three top 100 receivers, I think then, then we'll find out more about him. I think there's a, a route for Penix to be more than just a third-round pick. I don't see it for Nick's right now. That's kind of where I'm at. Hendon Hooker. 
since I just was met just mentioned him, where does he fall with the other two? You know, how would you rank him as a prospect with them? I would probably say Penix above him because I think Penix is a little bit more accurate. Now, I think Penix's accuracy has been maybe a little oversold over the course of the conversation, but I do think he's not missing as wildly as Hendon Hooker does at times. Hendon Hooker has a little bit more accuracy, especially downfield. Uh, Penix is a bit better than that. Uh, Knicks, Knicks is probably the best athlete of the three, but I think he's probably third. I think Hendon Hooker probably be second for me. Nix is one to think that like you build the scheme around what Nix does well. Nix just doesn't go in and deter like he doesn't go in and elevate your offense at all. I think he's a guy you have to put into a friendly scheme for him and what he does well. Uh, so that's how I view those three. That being said, like even even the RT, to be honest, the the pass rushes weren't great. So we I didn't get as much as I was hoping for <laughs> out of that game. I, I was hoping like. Like Jordan Birch has been a, a missing man for most of the year. Even like Braylon Trice. The, the one time I heard his name called was when uh, a giant Cornelius took him to the ground on a penalty. And that was the only time I heard Braylon Trice the entire day. So I don't think we learned a lot from this game, to be honest with you. Uh, or at least not as much as I was hoping for. And my opinion of them really hasn't changed. Wide receiver wise, because Jalen Polk, a, a guy that you came on and said second round, I think everyone just. Yeah. Hey, everyone, they got the three best, you know, best uh, trio of wide receivers in the country. Of you know, Rome, who's uh, first. Then you have McMillan. And then they also have Jalen Polk, too. And we're sitting here saying, Polk may be the best of the three. And he was, I thought, phenomenal yesterday. He uh, and Troy Franklin have definitely really elevated their stock this season. What were your thoughts on the, the receivers in that game? Yeah, you know, I came into the season a little bit lower on Rome than most just because I didn't think he separated as well as I was hoping for, especially for a guy who has all this like hyped up track, background track speed. I was expecting more natural separation from him than what we got. Uh, that being said, his ability to win the catch point and just his body control and concentration and ball skills are much better than even I think I gave him credit for. Like He is really good in those contested situations, those back shoulder throws. And the physicality he brings to the table is really nice. He's not getting pushed by a lot of corners in college football. Let me put it that way. And the NFL will be different. Probably will probably struggle a little bit more. I don't know if I want Rome to be like my wide receiver one at the next level. I don't really feel comfortable with that. Uh, if you're looking for just more of an all-around player who I think can separate a little bit more and has what I felt like was more juice, uh, Polk. I think Polk's that guy. Now, Polk had some moments where he's a little bit quiet in this game. Felt like Ojunze had some a better overall game. Polk got quiet at moments, but you also saw him go out and get a touchdown, and you saw him separate more, and you saw him have that spark. There was a play, I think, early in the game uh, where he ran for like almost 20 yards, generating a lot of yards just with the catch. I think that's where he's going to really make his money. Rome's not going to be as much of a yak guy. I think Polk will have that speed and burst to be more of a yak receiver at the next level. I agree. I, I'm a bigger fan of Polk, and I think that the hype that Rome's getting of a top 15 pick is, is not, not the kind of prospect I think he is. I clearly have neighbors, Egbuka, you know, and um, Keon Coleman ahead of him. I, I think that those guys bring more to the table than him. And he's an awesome college receiver. He is incredible. He was great 
against Oregon. And he was, or, you know, Penix threw some decent, like he won that game for, you know, for, for Washington, which, you know, very few guys can do. I think Keon Coleman, the way he played against LSU week one, had one of those. You know, Malik Neighbors has had a couple of pretty incredible games. But yeah, I think people are grouping Rome in there with Keon and Malik. And I don't know if I would do that. I think he's still more of a day two prospect. I think he's, in my opinion, still a second, which is really good. But I, I think he's getting like top 15, top 10 buzz that I don't know if I'd be there with him there. You had the 45th pick in the draft. And it's tough for me to say this because every team needs a new, a different wide receiver. Just quick answer. Rome or Jalen, who, who would you prefer? Oh, at 45, I would take Polk just because I like the, I like him a little bit more with the way the modern offenses are working right now. And again, like you're not relying as much on contested catches. Polk does have excellent body control and a huge catch radius, by the way. So it's not like he can't make those plays, but it's not it's not what he has to do to win. So I, I think I would like Polk more. Although, to be, to be fair, in this game, neither of these guys were my top receiver in this game. I think I like Troy Franklin a little bit more in this one. Yeah, he was. it was the next guy I was going to ask you about. I was going to say, now on to Oregon. And and they're, they don't really have this wide receiver trio. But I, I thought they played well overall. And uh, Troy Franklin... Who I saw Kuiper put him 25th on his latest big board. So he's getting some attention. And, you know, he had the size. He was a high recruit, had good size, speed. You know, the hands were, were good last year, but I think he's really taken the next step. Um, what were your thoughts on how Troy Franklin played and how it impacted his stock? Yeah, he's looked he's looked even more explosive than I was anticipating. Uh, his ability to win the corners to stack. And he's got good releases too. Like he's got good footwork in his release to not take on a lot of contact at the line of scrimmage. Uh, his ability to stack corners and win vertically has really impressed me so far this year. And that zero to 60 acceleration close to the line of scrimmage has really also popped. Uh, and you combine that with his already good size, his catch race. I still think this is a guy who has a chance to be a first round pick. You mentioned Mel Kuyper bringing him to the top 32. If we're talking about Rome or Dunze being in that, late first round conversation. I think Troy Franklin has to be there as well uh, from what he's done this year. And he's a more physically gifted player than someone like Emeka Buko, who's obviously a slot receiver. It's, it's a different role. I get that. But in terms of just the pure athlete style, the pure athleticism, Franklin at that size, what he's able to bring to the table, I think will put him in that first round conversation. And to be fair, like all these guys, there's so many good receivers this year that someone's going to have to get bumped down to the second round. It's just going to happen naturally. Uh, Franklin might be that guy. But I would right right now I would not frown if someone took him in the back half of the second of the first round. Yeah, I think all of these guys are in that comp. They're they're all somewhat tiered together, and I wonder how things are going to end up going because I'm, yeah, I, I don't know where we end up with the wide receiver class. I think testing is going to be huge. You know, we're going to talk about one wide receiver who is going to test, who's going to run really well. Um, later on but you know there are some there are new names popping up every week and you look at the second round and the third round and you can be like well you know what's the separation with this you know with Jalen Polk and then this guy who's projected to go early second round it's like well there isn't a ton so does that move all the receivers down but then you also see the way the receivers have gone off the board in the draft the last couple years of you know 2022 was a good wide receiver class I thought it was 
build up, you know, brought up to be this receiver class that it really wasn't. And then they all went off the board by pick 18. <laughs> we had what five or six go, you know, by the, you know, even like when we saw Crystal Lave, when, you know, the Saints traded up to 11 to take him, and then the next pick Detroit trades up to take uh, Jamison Williams. And then Jahan Dotson's the 16th pick. I'm like, man, we're, you know, it used to be like, you know, you see three wide receivers go in the first round. And they were all like big X guys who you projected to be wide receiver ones. And one would go top 10, one would go top 20, and then one would go, you know, in the back half of the first round. And we just saw, it's like, this is the worst receiver draft in a while. So we're going to take four of them in the first round. And, you know, that's how it went last year even. So I wonder if we see Marvin go three. Then next guy goes like eight. And then we got 10. And then we see seven or eight off the board. It's crazy how these receivers are being valued. But there's so many of them. And they all seem to hit, right? Like, yes, Kadarius Tony doesn't hit, right? You know, guys, there are certain guys who won't. I think more of it may have to do with character than anything. But... I guess Traylon Burks hasn't really lived up to it, and Jamison Williams has been hurt and suspended, so we don't know yet. It's a wait and see. Like the other guys are all good, you know. And you know, you know, it looks like most of the guys in this year's draft are there. It's such a position that all of them hit, uh, at least as of late. Yeah, like, it's like you don't have to take them in the first round because they're going to hit on day two. And if you do take them in the first round, it's a very safe position. So it's like you know, with a great tackle class, how does that impact things? I don't know, but yeah. Where are you at? Because I, I'm thinking, sure, we, yeah, everyone's like, oh, well, some of them are going to be moved down. I'm like, will they though? Because they're willing to take six off the board, seven off the board. They took four off the board last year, and it was the worst wide receiver class ever. Yeah, I'm at the point where we have to have some conversations about how many of these guys could go in the first round because it's it's insane. I don't know what other positions are going to get the love to maybe take away from receiver. You mentioned tackle certainly will be one of those, but outside of that, uh, the interior defense lineman this year, who we thought would be really good. Some of them have been good, but not maybe as good as expected. Uh, Quickly quarterback. Think, we might only really think, have two guys to feel truly comfortable with. Do you think any of the defensive tackles have played at a first, like a clear cut first round level this season? Uh, let's see. Who do I have? I had Michael Hall. I had uh, Leonard Taylor. And who was the other? I felt like I had one more guy who was in that conversation. Uh, give me one second. It was those two I felt really good about. And I had Newton was highly ranked as well, but he's got some physical limitations. So I think between Hall, Leonard Taylor, I don't think either of them have played really at that level right now. I think you're still going to be projecting when you take those kind of players that high. Newton could be a first-round pick, but I think he's more of a second-rounder, in my opinion, still. Uh, so, so, no, I don't think anyone's really secured themselves in that spot and, as a first-rounder. And Mason Smith, he was a guy. We were going to wait for the evaluation because he was this clear first-rounder, and we wanted to get the junior film so we could really do it right. I haven't seen him really show up. We talked about him a tiny bit last week, but I feel like he's kind of been... not. He hasn't played at a first-round level this year. He just hasn't. Yeah. So yeah, he was um, invisible again the other day. He had, okay. he had a decent game against Missouri and then he went missing again yesterday. So it, it doesn't like he's not going to the draft this year. I'm pretty, I can say it pretty comfortably unless he does something in the second half of the season. He's not going to the draft this year. So there's no point in, in really doing the eval on him. It's just <laughs> not going to matter this year. Uh, I guess it was smart. So, yes, back to what you were saying. So the quarterbacks, they're only maybe two. <laughs> yeah. 
And then, and then, like you said, the edge rushers aren't great. The corners are not great this year. It's going to be tackle, maybe even guard a little bit, and receiver are going to be the positions that will define this early draft class. And you mentioned Marvin Harris, the year is going to be at the top. I feel comfortable that Malik Neighbors is number two. I know some people will say uh, Keon Coleman's number two, so maybe we'll just compromise, put him three for now. And that guy, Buka, I still think he's being underutilized because Ohio State is just a bit of a mess on offense this year. But I think he still could be a thousand yard slot receiver. You see some of those guys come off the board when they did uh, in the past couple of years. I think he can do that. You talk about Jalen Polk, who I had like an early second round grade on, but that could mean a first round. That could be a first round receiver quite easily. Uh, Troy Franklin, after what he's done, Romo Dunze. Uh, then you, that's not even mentioning like AD Mitchell at Texas. And, and Malachi Corley at Western Kentucky, I don't expect to be a first round player just based on like the body type and the weird offense, but. Uh, he's a really good receiver. Uh, I would, I think he's going to be really productive regardless. And you get into that second round, you've got guys like Torrey Horton at Colorado State who just has done nothing but produce and he's got vertical speed or he can create yak on those shallow crosses. And you've got a guy we're going to talk about a little bit later, like Xavier Leggett at South Carolina, who's this really freaky player we'll talk about. All these talented receivers, uh, and of course, Troy Franklin, you, that's... Like all these guys are top 50 players. Like, what do you do with all these dudes? So many. Then it's third event as well. Teams like him. So you put him in the mix. It's a lot of wide receivers. So I would much rather just wait till the second round and whoever falls to me, like I I get, rather than taking one in the first round. Because I just don't think the separation is there outside of, Marvin, that makes me say, would I rather take an offensive tackle at 15 or would I rather have Keon Coleman? And to me, it's if I could get Troy Franklin at 42 or wherever I can trade up to get him, or do I take, you know, um, you know, an offensive tackle and then take the receiver? Do I go receiver then tackle? I'm always, you got to get the tackles in the first round, especially this year. Tyler Guyton, Troy Franklin as my round one, round two combo, or Malik Neighbors, and then whoever falls. It's just I just don't think it's there. But teams are going to draft the even you know, the Evan Neal draft, right? Um, you know that twenty twenty two class when I just mentioned six wide receivers off the board within the first eighteen picks. Yeah, you still had like you know, you know, Charles Cross went high, Evan Neal went high, Aquano. So there can be a mix, and there was a drop off to Penning and then Tyler Smith. Um, I think all those teams would much rather have Tyler Smith than uh, the the offensive tackle that they took. But another story. So you know, there. I just don't know. You know, with so many offensive linemen, I would much rather that and then go receiver round two. But you know. Our, our Washington, Oregon takes took us to how many wide receivers are we going to see in the first round? That's when you know it was a fun and explosive game. So we mentioned Knicks and Penix, two quarterbacks that we'll see their hear their name called most likely on day two. I'm not going to say it's 100% that they are day two picks. I think maybe one of them could be a, a, a fourth rounder, but I'd assume both are, are, are day two picks. They may be the only day two picks with the rest of the quarterback class and, and how they have all done. Uh, so first, let's do quarterback riser of the week. And I'll start with mine because I want to talk more about your guy in, in a second. Who You seem to always take 
the guys that I want. Granted, I guess it's on me for not when I make the outline, just putting them in as quickly as possible so you don't get to take them. But I chose J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. And it's really just because week in, week out, outside of the bowling green tape, he kind of plays mistake-free football and has been a really good game manager this year. Michigan started out down 7 nothing against Indiana, and I think they scored you know seven on eight straight possessions. They had seven touchdowns and a field goal, and they won 52-7. to And his job is not super difficult, and they're more of a run-heavy team. He and Ro- Roman Wilson have been great this year. Watching even, you know, we're going to talk about Tyler Newbin in a second. Watching Tyler Newbin's film, you grow to appreciate what McCarthy is as a player. And I think that he projects as an NFL starter and has been very consistent this season, which I don't think you could say about a lot of quarterbacks in this class. Uh, so I, I was between him and, well, I wasn't between, I had Ewers three and thought he was four. I'll say that. So not, I was a firm believer Quinn Ewers, QB3. But I said the two of them, Ewers and McCarthy, would be the other first-rounders. I'm not, you know, we'll see with Ewers the rest of the way. Um, I think McCarthy, you know, we don't necessarily always see him in the media as this consensus first-rounder, and I don't know if he necessarily is. But if there has to be a third guy who's going in the first round, to me, it's probably him right now just because he's on the younger side. He's played well. I've heard some rumblings. He may go back to school. I don't know about that. Uh, it seems like the perfect year to come out, especially if Shador doesn't co- doesn't come out with the way the Stanford, you know, that debacle. I, I would assume he <laughs> he's he's going back to school. So yeah, McCarthy is mine. Not not that he had this crazy standout game or anything, but more that in comparison to a lot of the other quarterbacks over the course of the season and this week specifically, he's kind of just been a little bit better on a week-to-week basis than all of them. And I think if he comes out as probably a first-round quarterback. Before we get to your guy, and I know it's hard to say this, right, because we've kind of seen them play, but with Richardson and Levis and McCarthy, for me personally, I'd have McCarthy below both of them, but ahead of Hendon Hooker. Where would he fall in for you? And if Stroud or Young, I, I think they were kind of much higher for you. Yeah, I was much higher in Stroud and Young. Uh, I did not have any faith in Levis. <laughs> I think you know this. Like you, right, We had this conversation last year uh, where I think we a couple of us were on a call and you're like, ah, you're talking about how much you like Levis and the other guys were green. I'm like, I, I'm like oh, I, I don't like Levis that much. So I was like the lone guy who had him a little bit lower. I ended up having him and Richardson both in like the 40s, my final big board. McCarthy's going to be higher than both of them. Uh, I, I would like him more. Now, again, he hasn't been challenged nearly as much as those guys. Like, Levis didn't have an offensive line his final year at Kentucky or a really good receiver. Richardson, young player, obviously tool is beyond belief. He might be out for the season now, though, in the NFL, uh, potential sh- season-ending shoulder injury. Uh, I would have McCarthy a little bit higher than both of them. I think he processes a little bit better than Richardson did. Obviously, he doesn't have the same physical tools, but he's more he's still a little bit more mobile, in my opinion, than Levis. And he doesn't make as many bad decisions. Now he now he hasn't been faced with the level of competition or the level of struggle that either of those guys had. So maybe I'm I'm buying into just the very safe quarterback who hasn't faced a lot of issues yet. Uh, but I, I would still view him a little bit higher than both those guys. I just feel like he's got a higher floor and is a more consistent quarterback than. Richardson, who I had really concerns about, and Levis, who I have long-term concerns about. 
No, I think yeah, it just depends on where you were at with, with that group, right? You were you're higher on McCarthy, I would say. I would take at least Levis over him. Probably Richardson. Granted, it's really easy to say that after watching his NFL film. Like, yeah, I was higher on Richardson, but no, my <laughs> grades. I you know I you know with, with McCarthy, Richards, and Richardson and. Levis is a tough one because I was really high on him after junior season. And obviously the senior season didn't go the way anyone was expecting. And it's just how much do you play into the injury, into the offensive coordinator, into the offensive line, into the uh, wide receiver group. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt. So I would say I would I had him three. And then um, Richardson, I would still have right there with McCarthy. I think it's just a matter of how he finishes out because he's got, you know, Penn State and Ohio State still in the college football playoff. So it, it, it's hard to really determine now. But yeah, I, I, I think, you know, those guys, you know, went four and 33. So it's not like, you know, when you're saying that you would have him in either the same range, a little below or a little higher, it puts him in the first round conversation. So now to your guy, take me through why you chose Michael Pratt as your quarterback riser of the week. Yeah, so I tuned in to watch the, I think it was either Friday night or Thursday night game between Tulane and Memphis. And Pratt had a really strong showing in the second half of that game. First half was a little bit shaky, but I thought the second half uh, was much better. He, of course, had that injury that knocked him out for the Ole Miss game earlier in the year. He's been working back from that. He had a really hot start to the season. I felt that the Memphis game was his best game since the injury. Uh, it just looked more accurate. He looked a little bit more... I'll call it natural in terms of his movement in the pocket and his uh, overall mobility looked to be a little bit better than what it had been previously. And then what I really like about him is he's got a really high floor. He's a really controlled passer, very accurate, does not put the ball in the harm's way much at all. Uh, and he does have good zip to get the ball outside the hash. So I'm looking at the Memphis tape and helping really bring back two links. They were at, at a point in the game where it looked like they might lose. Uh, helping bring Tulane back into that contest, helping them beat Memphis. And I think he's been a really underrated quarterback. Now, even going back to last year, Tajay Spears stole the spotlight. But you go back and watch Pratt, even against the game against USC, like there's stuff there with this guy that people just don't seem to have noticed for some reason. Um, I think pretty comfortably, me, he he's a top 100 player for sure. It's just the question of will he be this high third-round picker? Will he be like a legit second-rounder? I don't know if the first-round path is going to be there for him but it's a question of how high can he go and, and i don't know if this is saying a ton but he's my levis for this year he's the guy who i think if and you know levis went 33 i think there was good value there especially you know if you said you had him in the 40s to take a quarterback in the 30s who you had in the 40s it would be awesome michael pratt you know i have a higher grade sure on jj mccarthy uh, but if you asked me today, if you could have one of the quarterbacks in the class, you don't have the first two picks. Who is it? I'm Michael Pratt. I don't even, it's not even a question for me. Like, you know, I may have like Quinn Ewers has better tools and, you know, the highs are awesome. Same with McCarthy. And you could argue some of the other quarterbacks, but I think he's going to, I don't know if there's going to be a tiny bit of a discount on him because of the injury. Cause it's really impacting him in my opinion. The way I see him playing out on the field, even going back to when he played Nichols. Nichols is not an FBS school. And I still noticed it 
because that South Alabama tape week one was probably the best tape I, I've seen this season from a quarterback, maybe outside of Cam Ward against Oregon State. But he was phenomenal then, gets hurt. And, and Nichols, then UAB, he just looked off. And even right in the first half against Memphis, it's nothing to do, I think, with who he is as a player, I just think the knee is, is, is still really bothering him. So I, I'm i incredibly high on him. I would take him um, in the back half of the first round if I was a team that, let's say Tampa does enough to make the playoffs and then I, you, know, I, you would stick with Baker, I guess. But for some reason, like a team like Tampa, maybe a team such as New Orleans, you know, so I guess a team in the NFC South, because you could argue that, you know, the, the other two teams may need a quarterback as well. But he, I think he could be an NFL starting quarterback. Is he going to be a superstar? No, I, I'd say he's a little bit of a mix to me between Kenny Pickett and Will Levis, where, you know, he plays like Will Levis, where you don't know if he's going to get hurt on every single play the way he runs. And, you know, maybe he'll have to fix a little bit of just his play style, but he's got that and he's got like a little bit lesser of his tools, but I think he's got the, the moxie and the, you know, the ability to win the way Pickett did in, in college, which, you know, I, I think it, he's a, he's a good mix there and someone who I think I would want as my starting NFL quarterback, even as a rookie, I would take him over a lot. And I, with the success of Aiden O'Connell, I know Dorian Thompson Robinson, not in the regular season, but in the preseason and seeing that, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks, even Jake Hayner, uh, I, I think was is viewed as someone who could maybe be a, a starter. I know he was suspended, but yeah, uh, as a down the line guy, I, I really think that that that's going to help Brock Purdy as well, uh, Michael Pratt, that he could be you know a, a, a starter on his rookie deal, and and yeah, he's my guy with Pratt well, and the proliferation of the, like the Shanahan style of offense is really yes. what I think will help him out too. Like that that level of dictating accuracy and creating openings for you on like a vertical plane or even a horizontal plane, depending on which Shanahan based system you're going to. Uh, that's really what I think will help him out being able to play an offense like that, where you're surrounded by really talented players. Think about like, even like a Nico Collins in Houston, like give him something like that, what he's done this year, obviously Miami, San Francisco, or even what Ben Johnson does with Jared Goff in Detroit. Like those kind of systems are where someone like a, uh, someone like a Michael Pratt can go out there and have a really productive season, in my opinion. The only problem with the Shanahan system is that all these quarterbacks are so good in it that none of them need to draft one. So I mocked him over the summer. I put him 30 to San Francisco. You know, if like Brock Purdy doesn't play well, I know they won't be picking 30, but maybe. And, you know, he's, you're not going to draft Michael Pratt because Purdy's been playing well, but right I think he could work really well in one of those systems. So I, uh, I'm i very high. With Pratt, in this quarterback class, I know we talk about it every week, where does he rank tentatively for you right now, um, you know, through, through after this week's game, after these this week's games? So my three, my top three, I think everyone knows, are Caleb Williams, Drake May, and J.J. McCarthy. And after that, that's when it really opens up. Uh, I have him right after that in that QB4 discussion. It's like him him and Penix kind of bounce around. I think Pratt has the higher ceiling of the two of those guys. And if you really factor in the injury history, I think Pratt would be four. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor, so I, I can't really give you a, a detailed breakdown on Penix and everything like that. So I would say Pratt probably four if you factor in the injury history. Uh, B.R. Gash, of course, competing in that 
like the bucket after that who have had really up and down years so far. You could say like a uh, Cam Ward, Dur Sanders, Quinn Ewers, Bonex are kind of in that next group that really have had like really good flashes at times, but also some really bad breakdowns. Uh, so I, I think that four is where I have them penciled in right now. There's a lot of volatility in that section. There's a lot of things that can change, but I, I'd say I have him comfortably as a as a top five guy in the class right now. Yeah, I think he would be as well. Uh, I'm not gonna sit take out Quinn Ewers yet of my top five because there's a lot of season left to go and he plays well in the Big 12 championship. And then I think if they win that and they go to the college football playoff, he plays well there. We're talking about an entirely different prospect at that point. So I still think there are games left that could really improve his stock. Cam Moore is the one that's been just that Oregon State tape. I was ready to say he's clear cut QB three first round prospect. And we're talking about him as the next Patrick Mahomes. And then he struggled against UCLA and you know put up six points against Arizona. And I know some of it was the offense just isn't that good. And you know, his offensive tackles are have really struggled this season. I mean, he made some really tough throws and he had fumbling problems yesterday. I believe he had two. And I wa- you know, I saw he just he has a problem with dropping the football and he did it again yesterday. Right? And he did it against Oregon State. And I'm I was like, yeah, let, let's not talk about that because he went 14 and 15 for 293 yards and four touchdowns in the first half let's talk about that but now when you're scoring six points and you're like dropping the football again and he was doing it early on in the season and we were saying what's the deal here because we've really never seen anyone do it i'm interesting i'll have to look it up what his head measurement you know what that came in at you know, is it, are his hands not big is that like, why is he continue to drop the football so he had a couple fumbles a bad interception I, you know, I even said it last week. I wasn't ready to take him out of the quarterback three discussion. Still thought it was going to be him. I think at this point, right, this is back-to-back weeks of big enough struggles that I don't know. Granted, Richardson had some really bad weeks last year and may be tough, but I still can't. I would still take him day two. That, you know, that's where I'm at. Like, I, I don't think I could let him get past the third round. Oh, yeah. I would still take Cameron Ward day two, but I think he's really, he's really hurt himself here the past yeah. two weeks because people went into the season – believing that this is who he is. And now he's showing that to you <laughs> after say, so it's just a problem. People are going to believe now. There's some people who will never get off the fact that they think this is who Cameron Ward is as a quarterback. So uh, yeah, he's really hurt himself through the opening part of the season. The guy who actually helped himself a lot yesterday. I didn't bring up was Spencer Rattler against Florida, just to say like he did not have a good game against Tennessee at all. Uh, but he bounced back and had a really good game against Florida, in my opinion. So like, he's still, a guy who I think will get probably taken in the third round at some point because there is a lot of upside to him. And he looks much more mature in terms of both his on and off field uh, decision making and playmaking than he did in previous years. Yes. Uh, he's he's still floating around. You know, he, I, I want It's very easy for me to take him out of the discussion more that's just easier for talking points when I don't have to bring up him and Jaden Daniel and these other quarterbacks that are just they're just there. They are. They're, they're creeping in the background, and uh, especially when uh, players have off weeks and Jaden Daniels throws for 600 yards everywhere. Hey, well, let, let me put Jaden Daniels back in this, you know, tier two, tier three, you know, more, uh, more tier three at the highest conversation. Last thing with quarter, well, last two things with quarterbacks, and I'll have you answer them at the same time. If the line is set at three and a half quarterbacks going in the first round today. Because every week we kind of have the discussion and at some points I'm like four and a half and we're like over. 
or yo, at this point, three and a half quarterbacks going in the first round. You take the over under, and by the end of the process, how close do you think Drake May and Caleb Williams end up? <laughs> Give me the under. I, I'm so like this quarterback class has been so chaotic, man. That I I don't want to buy too much into it. I, I really think that you could see some of these guys go back to school, uh, some of the underclassmen, and some of the upperclassmen. I think just might fade. So I I would say three is probably where I'm at right now and feel safe about it could easily be four, but I would probably take the under. And as far as Caleb Williams and Drake may go, uh, someone put it well, the other, the other night, I think it was Damian Parsons from draft network, put it well on Twitter. He said that Caleb Williams works better out of structure than Drake may, but Drake may works better within structure than Caleb Williams. And I think we're seeing Caleb a couple times this year where like that out of structure play, the wanting to create, basically a second play after things break down has really hurt him. And I don't think you're going to be able to work that out of his game ever in the NFL. Uh, I think, I think Drake may will be able to be a more consistent quarterback. Who's not going to have those. Let me hold the ball for seven seconds and then throw the ball into double coverage kind of situation. You're not going to get as much of that from Drake may. Now granted may himself has had quite a few turnovers this year. So it's not that clear cut. In my opinion, I think Caleb is still the one. I think there will be multiple NFL teams that have Drake May as the number one quarterback on their board. Let me put it that way. That's how close I think it will be. I don't know how many teams it will be. I, I would guess probably not double digits, but I think you could see like seven or eight teams that would say Drake May is the RQB one. I wonder how many will have him as quarterback one because everything over the summer was almost like, yeah, it's Caleb, and then it's who's going to compete with Drake May to, for quarterback two. And as I was stunned because the tape was really good. And it wasn't, I don't, I still would take Caleb over him as long as, you know, in meetings and, and that when teams go and meet with him during the pre-draft process, everything goes smoothly for both of them. I, th- I would still take Caleb and it's one game. You know, Drake May was, you know, throwing the ball to Minnesota defenders on every play. You know, it just wasn't a primetime game. Like, like you said, like he hasn't been perfect either this season. He's played really well the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, and Caleb has it. So it's very easy to now say that. I, I think, I just think, you know, one and two, I, I think whoever has the first pick is going to take Caleb. I think if Drake may end up being better than Caleb, I don't, because from a GM perspective, you have to do a little bit about what fan of what fans want. You know, making a controversial decision at number one could really, you know, hurt, hurt you. But if you, the guy at number two is better but everyone coming in had the guy who went number one. It, it doesn't make you look as bad. I think with the way people, uh, perfect example, you know, Trevor was the first pick, but like between, you know, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, I think, you know, it was the consensus by the end of it. Zach Wilson's the second best guy. So it doesn't make Joe Lucas, Douglas look as bad. So I think that Caleb, I, I can't see a GM sitting there and taking Drake May over Caleb Williams because of what Caleb Williams brings in terms of his upside. And also the fact that everyone in the media and everyone who's a fan of that team will believe that Caleb Williams is a generational prospect and Drake May isn't, um, which I don't think either one of them are. And I don't think it would be a bad decision to take Drake, Drake May over Caleb. I just think it comes down to what you want. But um, yeah, yeah so. the, top, the top job for a general manager is to not lose your job. It's right. to keep your job for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah. So if you're the guy who drafts Drake May over Caleb Williams and Drake May is not good, that's an instant firing. <laughs> yeah, like you're right. done after one year. So 
You, you can't be the guy to do that if you're long term. If you're long term, you have to keep your job. You cannot be the guy that drafts Drake May over Caleb Williams. That's that's how I view. It. Unless you definitively think that Drake May is the better quarterback. Yeah, like you'd have to be so convinced that Drake. And at that point, you just I, I don't. You can't even make a trade though because K, Drake. They're both going one and two, so it's like whoever gets it, it doesn't matter. But right, I think people sometimes think of this that like it's Madden. And they're just playing, you know, that that franchise mode, and you can just quit whenever you want and just restart, or you know, you never get fired. It's not franchise mode. These are real people, <laughs> and these are their jobs, and their job is to keep their job, right? And that doesn't mean they're not trying to be aggressive and trying to win and doing what's best for for their organization and the fan base. But at the end of the day. When you're making three, four million dollars a year as a general manager, you, you kind of want to keep that job. Uh, and there's only 32 of them, and nobody gets a second chance. So if you take Caleb Williams over Drake May and Caleb doesn't necessarily pan out, I think you have more leeway than if you do. The, like it, if Caleb's not good and Drake is, you'll get some pushback. But if it's the opposite and you take Drake over Caleb and Caleb ends up being, you know, what some may think he could be, you're done in two years and you're never getting another job and all anyone talks about you for your rest of your life is how you took Caleb Williams or you took Drake May over Caleb Williams. So enough quarterback discussion. Wait, do you have one more thing you want to add? Or No, I was going to say, if you do that, you'll end up on ESPN's morning shows within the course of like yeah. 24 months. That's all it is. Like <laughs> you're, you're done immediately. You can't make that risk. No, right. Exactly. So now done with quarterback talk. One prospect to highlight. Who is your guy this week that stood out? Yeah, it's Devontae Walker. I think this is the obvious one, but I just want to talk about him. Because obviously the NCAA held him out for, what, five weeks, I want to say. Uh, they weren't letting him play for some really weird reasons. Probably weren't good reasons. Uh, but and he ends up playing last week. He had one really nice catch, but he had overall pedestrian numbers, I would say, in his first week back. Uh, and he comes out last night against Miami, your team, and just dominates. Has a really fantastic game. Three touchdown catches. He looked awesome. The speed's there. Everything that you could ask for is there. He's definitely in football shape. And he and Drake May are getting their chemistry together at a perfect time for North Carolina. This is going to help the team a lot, help the program a lot with their, where they are right now in terms of the ACC and maybe competing for a conference championship. And Devontae Walker... I think with Drake May being his quarterback has a legit chance to get into the top 75 discussion. Like I had him kind of floating as an early fourth rounder right around the top 100 spot when he, after in the, in the summer when I scouted him, I did. Now with him catching passes from Drake May and with the potential for that to elevate both their games, I think we're talking more about a guy who went through like the late second, early third round conversation versus where he was in the summer. With Devontae Walker, I was totally with you grade-wise. But again, we're not an NFL team. So I said early day, or I said day three, fourth round prospect who some teams will have, you know, project him as a second round pick because what he brings to their offense, that's exactly what they need. And the speed, he's going to run in the four threes at that size. He's got really long arms. And he was blow. Like he's got legitimate speed. He's blown by Georgia defenders. Do we know if we can really run a route? Not really. How are the hands inconsistent? 
but he brings a speed element to our offense that we desperately need. So I said fourth round grade. He's going before you know, the NCAA did what they did. Fourth round grade. He's going to play at North Carolina with Drake May in the ACC, which has some good cornerbacks, but you're going up against some mediocre defenses. You have a guy who's got probably one of the best deep balls outside of Sam Hartman. I'm going to keep bringing up that Jason Garrett joke. But you have one of the best you have quarterbacks in the entire country, the second best quarterback in the country. And we saw it. Like, it's a cheat code. You get someone with that kind of speed, have them run, and then Drake May can hit him. And then he'll score touchdowns. He had three against Miami yesterday. They were, you know, they were a phenomenal duo in their first real game. You know, they got back in the swing of things against Syracuse. And then he has three touchdowns this week. I assume, right, top 75 guy, someone's going to take him in the second round with that kind of speed after he runs his 40-yard dash time. There were more concerns, I think, with Jalen Hyatt, not necessarily any, like, with his play, but just more other factors that caused him to fall to the third route. But I think with Devontae Walker, a guy who we probably grade as a third-round prospect, but certain teams may have first-round grades on him because of what he he does um, for their offense and their fit. And then he'll have fourth-round grades from other teams who take into account, hey, he doesn't fit. Like, he doesn't run routes well enough. His hands, we have some concerns. But, boy, yeah, some teams are going to be super high on him. The the player I selected because you took Devontae Walker was Cooper DeGene from Iowa. And he... Had a really big fourth down stop, uh, made a great tackle, blew it up in the backfield. I could have talked about him the last two weeks. He had, you know, two interceptions two weeks before. He's had kick return and punt returns, sorry, for touchdowns this season. I just think he, like, is all around probably for me. And I, I've been much higher on him um, e- even over the summer. But just as someone I think is, pr- in my opinion, if, if you ask me today who's going to be the best defender from this year's draft class, I think it's going to be Cooper to G. I think with the way the edge class has played, the way the like defensive tackle class, like the way every position has played, I don't think anyone has really done a ton to elevate their stock. And people are trying to make Dallas Turner into, oh, he's the best defender or the first defender that's going to be drafted. But I think Cooper to is going to end up as the highest graded player for me with what he does. And I know, and, and he's also, I don't think a cornerback. He, came into college to play safety and because of injuries he's played cornerback but I don't think that's his best spot at all I think he's a safety I think he's the top safety in the draft I really think there are very few holes in his game there they're more at cornerback I don't know you know if a team wants to take him there just because you know corners are harder position to find than safety and he could do it but I think he could be an all pro caliber safety and you know brings a lot as a return guy. He's going to test off the charts. I think, you know, his vert and his broad jump will be great. He's going to run in the four fours. He's got good size. He hits hard. He's physical. He plays at Iowa. They just produce a lot of really good NFL players. I have no concerns with him, and he's a player I would take in the first round. I And in a weak defensive class, I think he could be the best one from this year's draft. Yeah, I was lowering him over the summer. He has impressed me this year. He's been better, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know if I'll say he's the best. Def- he's going to be the best defender in the class, but he certainly has a lot of versatility to his game in terms of the fact he's playing corner in college in a Big Ten school. He'll be a safety in the NFL, and he can play almost any safety role you want him to. Like He can walk down the slot if you want him to. He can play box. He can play a little bit deeper off ball. That level of defensive versatility will play a huge role for him. 
It's just a matter of going to a team that actually evaluates him as a safety and make sure he doesn't get stuck playing corner in the NFL. Because if you go over to that one random team that for whatever reason wants him to play corner, because there will be one team that says, let's do it, it could end horrifically for him early in his career. Just make sure he goes to the right place. I've seen a lot of prominent people in the media not only have him as a cornerback, I think I brought up Kaipo already, but he put him as his cornerback one in the class. I'm like, all right, let's not. Let's. I, I think in a month or two, Kaipo will write something. That, by the way, Cooper Jean's a safety because I, I just think that's where where he's. It, it goes back to like tackle guard thing, right? You don't usually see this with corners and safeties, obviously, but yeah, it's, you just you just put him as your tackle three the whole way through. And then, you know, January comes or February and then you just move them to guard. And then you're right, like you just slightly just throw them in the guard rankings and don't say anything about it. But uh, yeah, I think every team's going to view him as a safety. And right, I'm much higher on him than you. It's a lot to say he's going to be the best defender in the draft. To put, and not to put you on the spot here, but right now for you, who do you think ends up as the number one defender uh, in, in the draft for, for you, for how you'll grade them. Yeah, so the num- number one take you're talking about, right? The first guy off the board? Yes. I would... The one guy I'm going to have to grade the highest is still going to be verse. I still... Wa- watching the way he gets off the football and the way he works up the arc, it's just so fun, man. The explosiveness, that first step, the real ability to just get around guys. And if he doesn't get around them, he still has the hands and some of the strength to play through them or play... Uh, play with them with this pass rush plan. I still love Verse. I think he's still going to be my top guy throughout most of the process. Uh, admittedly, like Kalen King, Kool Aid McKinstry, to some extent, Chop Robinson, like those guys have all kind of dropped a bit. They have been inconsistent. You had the flashes, certainly, and had physical tools and talent, but they haven't been, they haven't gone out and solidified themselves as first round kind of guys. So I think that will be a discussion. And I, I'm so sad Nate Wiggins got hurt because Nate Wiggins, I think, really would have... I mean, he was on a tear. Like, he really would have entered this conversation had he been fully healthy. It sounds like he'll be healthy enough to play again at some point this year. Uh, but I, I'm so disappointed he got hurt because he's the guy who I think really could potentially be that or in that conversation, for me at least, as one of the top defensive players taken in this class. Oh, yeah. He was well on his way. And I still think he probably does for me ends up as my corner one. I think that he's that good, and I'm also not super high on the other two. I think they're both good with Kool Aid and Kalen King, but I think Wiggins has the upside, more upside, right? When I say Cooper DeGene, it's a little bit of a cheat because, right, Verse will be my highest graded player, and I think he should be the first defender drafted. But when I say I think DeGene, right, it's a different position. It's much harder. I think to be the like you know, finish as like you could be a great edge rusher, but when you're a safety, it's a little bit easier. You know, there aren't as many difference makers as you know. It when you're competing with Nick Bosa and you know Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons, that's a lot different than you know Minka Fitzpatrick. Who, you know, like all great players, and everything just a little easier. So a little, it's easy for me to say that, but um, I do think verse, and I, I don't understand. I just think what he does is pretty incredible as a player, right? I don't think there's a corner. I don't think there's a linebacker. I don't think there's an interior defensive lineman who, you know, is even in that conversation. And Dallas Turner just continues to beat up on the bad teams that he plays. And then he was non-existent 
against Texas. And I just don't think his game translates all that well to the next level. And the chop Robinson, yeah, he's looked awesome against Iowa and um, uh, Master, UMass yesterday. But yeah, UMass yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was great against, like, like he, he's always been great against really bad tackles. He just beats them with, you know, just, you know, just beats them with speed around the edge. Which is great in college, but you know, when Lane Johnson's just as fast as you, you know, it's just you know, you gotta be able to win in other ways. And I worry a little bit, right? He was the guy that we both had, hey, you know, he could be maybe edge one at worst, edge two in this class, which isn't saying a ton, but we think he could be there. And I still think he could end up there, especially we'll see with medicals, uh, you know, with, with Latu, but I just yeah, I, I think to put I, I I don't think people have him like in that conversation to be the first defender drafted. So I'm not going to say that because I think he's been I hope he could be a first round pick, but not this clear cut, you know, top 15, top 10 pick. But so I'm with you. I still think it's verse. I think he's the best. I think the the hate for him has just come like you just look at the box score. And he's not producing. It's easy to write about it, right? To either write who's your follower. Well, you know, Jared Verse doesn't have a sack yet. He had two sacks last week. He made some plays yesterday, or he had some pass rush reps yesterday that I thought were pretty impressive. And right, you know, I think you just uh, uh, we'll see because if they make the college football playoff, I think he's going to really turn it on, and then I think he's going to end up being kind of where he was to start the season. So those were our prospects that we highlighted: Cooper DeGene, Devontae Walker. Now we're going to do our stock update segment of the week. Last week we talked about Dallas Turner. This week, turning the page to Tyler Newbin, safety from Minnesota. So when watching his film this season, I took a look at Nebraska's tape because that was it's always good when you like a prospect to look at the game where he has two interceptions. I also watched North Carolina and Michigan. Those are the three that I took a look at from this season. Uh, where Before the season, you had a third round grade on him. Uh, as a potential top 100 pick, I know you've moved him moved him up in your rankings, but just uh, now going through it and evaluating his tape from this season, where are you at with him? Yeah, so I gave him a third round grade over the summer, but that third round grade was more of a guy who I felt comfortable with the floor, but I didn't think he had the ceiling to be much higher. Like he was getting in that 80 to 100 range a lot of times in my rankings because I thought he was yeah a third round player, but not someone who would really rise in the process. He's been much better this year in terms of his ability to showcase his range and coverage, to showcase his ball skills, his instincts, his ability to read the quarterback and predict where the football is going to go and then close and make a play on the ball. I think that's all been better this year compared to what was last year. I think my thought process watching over the summer was that this is a fantastic player when he's around the box because he's really good in run defense. And he's still really good in run defense. Uh, you go back last year and watch his Illinois tape. He's the only guy on Michigan putting up any kind of fight uh, in, uh, as Chase Brown goes for however many yards they went for in that game. He was awesome. Tyler Newman was awesome in that game. But he's been better in coverage this year. And I think he's really showcased the ability to not have to play in the box. He can play 20 yards off ball and still be an impact playmaker. Uh, and that was something I had questions with going into the summer. I don't have those questions anymore. I still don't think this is a guy who's going to compete for like a top 50 pick by any means. But if you take him like mid 50s, anywhere late second round, I think that's totally worthwhile. 
again, I had him more as like a light third rounder to begin this, this whole process with. Now I'm thinking more of like a late second to early third round kind of guy. Uh, it, as part of just limitations that safeties have to deal with to some extent. But I do view him as a guy who's definitively a really good run defender, a really high level run defender, and a player who's developed some really good instincts in pass coverage. It's funny you said that because that was the first thing I was going to say was I think he's a player who doesn't necessarily maybe go top 50 and my I wouldn't take him top 50. There's I think there's a shot he goes top 50 a, a good chance. But um, he, in my opinion, is a player who goes 51 to 64. That's where I think his range is that these playoff teams that need a starting safety take Tyler Newbin in the second round. Uh, I have a late second round grade on him. I had, I was higher on you, but I understood where you were at over the summer. I wasn't so much higher, but I thought probably in the 65 to 85 to 90 range was where I thought he'd end up. And now I've moved that up. And I thought, yeah, the ball skills are really good. I think he's been more explosive on tape this year. It looks faster. Even he's not going to test. Very well, he and I know Brisker did, but he reminds me of like a, a Jaquan Brisker type. Not necessarily exactly the player, but just more that kind of goes. He went 48th, and he's a really solid starter. And I think that's what Tyler Newman's going to be. If he was a better tackler, that's the one thing. Where it's like, you know, he's got the size. To, you know, he's going to come in, and he's going to. I think he's six oh one, he's six one and five eight. So he's going to basically be considered six two as safety. 210 pounds. He's got long arms, over 32-inch arms. You know, those check enough boxes, even if the testing isn't over the top, because I think he's just going to be an average tester. I think he's covered tight ends really well this season. His instincts and coverage have been better, and I think he's good in that regard. Yeah, it's just, you know, when he's on as a tackler, you know, I try, I'm like, oh, we're talking about an early second-round pick, but it's not enough for me. That's the frustrating thing. The the Illinois tape, you know, when Minnesota played Illinois last year, but they were it was awesome. There were certain games this year and, and last year where the tackling is great, but it's a little inconsistent for me. But I would be very happy taking him in the back half of the second round and just saying we need a starting safety. He fits what we want to do defensively. He does a lot. You know, he's a very versatile player and, and he could do a lot. You know, we're not getting the single high safety, but he t- he creates turnovers. He you know, he is an impact player in that regard. The ball skills are very good. Uh, he tracks it well. He makes the most of his opportunities. He does not drop interceptions either. So Tyler Newbin is a player who I've been impressed with this season. The Michigan tape, I thought, was the only, like it was. It didn't do anything for me either way. I just think that uh, Minnesota was outmanned and he looked decent in that game, but just wasn't given the same opportunities as some of the other games he played. But I like the North Carolina tape a lot and just watching his interceptions this year, you just see the ball skills and he's, he's a very good prospect. So I'm, I'm glad we did an in-season eval on him uh, to highlight a player. I, I think also 51 to 64 just depends on the safety class because right. You have a lot of safeties, but you know, if Cam Kitchens comes in at 510 flat, or something along those lines. How does that impact his stock? And I don't think he's going to run anything special. He's a great football player, but more great football player than, you know, great athlete and tester. You know, where does, is Cooper DeGene considered a safety? And if he is, is he a first round safety? Or, is, you know, where where do teams view him? 
you know, how it, you know, Javon Bullard's net went from corner. Now he's a safety. I know you weren't high on him at all, but just he'll be in, in, in the conversation. People like him, Rod Moore at Michigan, Lathan Rand. There's a lot of players. Uh, Kalen Bullock's the guy that we're, we were both high on over in the summer. We'll have to, you know, update his film soon, um, especially the way, you know, he's had some impact plays, but overall, I think that USC's defense has just been atrocious. So, yeah, it's there's just a lot of names. I think if you had to guess, do you think he go? What do you think he has a better shot of going thirty three to fifty or fifty one to seventy five? I would say fifty one to seventy five. I think that in terms of skill sets, it's not going to be as valid as even like a wide receiver two per se. Now that's not that's that's not trying to knock Tyler Newbin. That's just how it is right now. If you see wide receiver twos are getting taken in the first round now, and there's a lot of them that will be available throughout the course of this process. There's going to be like 12 of them in the top 50 or so. So you, you got to consider that you're going to have all those players stacked up there. I think it's going to be more of that back end of the uh, second round conversation. There will be players that are going to still rise in this process that will end up pushing him down further. You might see like a mate, uh, a Mike, Sane Rastillo, who's going to be a nice pick as a nickel. You might see him get up the board. You'll see what we have to do with uh, Kingsley. I'm not going to pronounce the last name. Tackle at BYU and all the other offensive tackles are going up. Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see how all those players move. I think that's going to push safeties down a bit, especially because like Bullock hasn't gone out there and really seized the role. Kitchens has been good this year, but not like over the top good. And he had the injury that kind of slowed him down a little bit. Makuba uh, from Clemson has been good. I think Tyke Smith's been good for Georgia, but I don't know like those guys are players that you really want to take in the second round per se. Those might be more of like the third round conversations where those guys go. Same with Rod Moore. I don't I don't think Rod Moore is like a second round player. Uh guys like Rod Moore, Lathan Ransom, Bo Braid are more like if you want him in the third round, you can take him, but probably be available in the fourth round as well. So no, I, I think it's a really good safety class, but like a really good third round safety class. Like I'm struggling to find a few, like more than a couple guys I take in the second. So it's more of a third round. Right? It's just a position. Similar, like you're going to take a tackle in the first round who you have a lower grade on than a guard. You know, that's just how it works. Is you know, guards, centers are just not as valued as high as tackles. It's a premium position. Cornerbacks are going to go. Wide receivers are going to go. Safeties, not as much. Would Newbin be because he is for me, and we'll like. You know, it depends how you viewed Brian Branch, but like, let's, you know, would he be safety two for you um, if he was in last year's draft or no? Uh, I think so. Let me try to, well, let me try to remember who else was in that class. I'm trying to, the safeties. Quad Martin wasn't, was it was not a, like drafted. Right. It was not the great draft. I'm trying to think. No, it was a bad draft for uh, safeties. Yeah, it was. Pretty awful. I think he would be safety too. Uh, unless you want to say like Jertavis Martin was a guy who I liked a lot. It's just a very different role. Like it's not it's not the same player at all. No. I think depending <laughs> if you're looking for a guy who's got more physicality and more like value around the line of scrimmage, I think Newbin's that guy. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a guy who's gonna be able to walk down and play in the slot consistently, then Martin sure do. So I think that's how I would view it. Uh I would I would say, yeah, Newbin, I would think. Would be definitely like he's bet above Sydney Brown for sure. To put it yeah. that way, like above the Sydney Brown line. So yeah, no, a hundred percent. So yeah, it's interesting. You know, he went back to school. I think he's helped himself as a prospect. But I don't know if he's hurt himself as a draft prospect. 
maybe a tiny bit and that just it depends on the class right and we'll see because there are more of them that could push him down are there guys ahead of him so we'll see but yeah impressed with tyler newbin i think both of us he continues to add to his interception total he's a really great safe prospect so i'm glad we did him so now on to the prospects that we've watched for this week's episode xavier leggett wide receiver south carolina nick gargiulo offensive lineman south carolina marcus harper Offensive lineman, Oregon. Riley Mills, defensive lineman, Notre Dame. Danny Stutzman, linebacker, Oklahoma. Xavier Leggett, let's start with him. I'm glad you did his because I'm a big fan. But take me through your report on Xavier Leggett, wide receiver, South Carolina. So I just want to start by saying there was a play yesterday where Spencer Rattler is under pressure. He throws off his back foot. The ball goes 50 yards downfield, which is really impressive to throw by Rattler, by the way. And like gets just sitting down there with one cornerback on him and just goes up and gets the ball like it's not even a challenge. Because it's just, it's a guy who's it's a massive dude against the corner is like six inches shorter than him and probably 30 pounds lighter. Uh it's unofficially this at six foot three, 227 pounds, and he looks the part. This guy might be the best height, weight, speed receiver with legitimate ability to produce at the next level since DK Metcalf. Like I'm and that's like I feel ridiculous saying that. I hate throwing out like all pro level names when talking about these kind of guys, but legitimately, like, there's not, you do not see this kind of guy come through every year. You see this like guy every maybe three or four years. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's awesome. He's just a ton of fun to watch. Uh, so he's also got experience on like the kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage use because he didn't play at all early in his career. Like, he already has more receiving yards this year than he did at any point in his previous, like all his previous years combined. And he's not like a new player to the scene. He's been here for a little while. So I'm sure teams will ask questions about that. But in terms of testing, my God, this guy's going to probably blow up the combine. I think the height weight speed combination is insane. He's got long explosive first steps off the line to really blow by and stack corners quickly. He's got some nice footwork at the release too to try to keep himself clean. Uh, the acceleration at his size is just ridiculous. Uh, and again, like the elite downfield speed to win a ton that way and then create after the catch. We've seen it a couple of times. There was a play this past week against Florida. Where we had the ability to create after the catch. I think there was another one. I forget who it was maybe Mississippi state. I want to say where he caught like a slant or he caught like a, uh, a drag route and like ran all like 50 plus yards for a touchdown. He's been fantastic this year in terms of creating after the catch. And one thing I will say that maybe like TK Metcalf did not have coming out of college. He's got really quiet feet and a really good ability to decelerate on comeback routes. Like Leggett stops in, in a time that DK Metcalf would double, like when he came out of college. He took like six yards to turn around. Leggett's taking maybe like two, two and a half to get flipped around and get back to the quarterback. Uh, so these can run those routes. He's got really good separation on crosses, of course. And he's able to throw like head fakes and cut suddenly for post routes as well. They kind of throw off defenders that way. He's an angle racer. When he's got the ball in his hands, his speed is that good. And he appears to have natural hands. I know there were drops in previous years. I have not seen that issue this year. Uh, nice catch radius as well. And he's comfortable high pulling the ball and making catches over defenders. Uh, some of the negatives, again, he's a late bloomer. You want to find out why that was. You want to talk to him a little bit about that. I don't think he uses his hands and physicality enough in press coverage, right, to, to fight press coverage yet. And there are instances where contact early in the route can kind of derail him. So he has to figure out a better way to work through that contact, a better way to try to avoid that contact and really use his size and strength more to his advantage in those situations. Uh, 
when he got the ball in his hands, he's more of a straight line speedster, not really a dynamic or twitchy creator after the catch. Uh, doesn't break a ton of catches despite having that kind of size, or doesn't break a ton of tackles despite having that kind of size. Uh, I would hope he's a little bit more physical at the next level and doesn't go down as quickly. Uh, and then just not very creative or elusive guy with the ball in his hands. So you're, you're a little bit limited in that sense, but in terms of before the catch, he's got all the tools you could want. Yeah, I'll keep it simple. I think, you know, maybe not as good of a prospect as DK Metcalf, but he'll go higher than him. I think he's a second round pick. Yeah, I going in, you know, because and he's not six three. I think he's a shade under six two. But so he'll come in six two, and he is he's legitimate two twenty seven. And I thought, you know, you know, he hasn't produced, and I've never heard his name. <laughs> Antoine Wells, Juice Wells was all anyone talked about. And you know, South Carolina had some buzz going in the air. And week one, he plays well, but it's North Carolina, and he's big, so he's probably just this like possession guy who, yeah, they throw it up to him, and he just, you know, he's he's 23, 24 years old because he's a 60 or whatever I assumed he was, and he just high points it decently well. It's not going to translate. Yeah, he'll go undrafted, and then you know he does it again against Georgia, and he just keeps doing it, and eventually, you know. I'm like, this guy is a day two prospect and Sam has to watch him. <laughs> and I'm glad you gave him a second round grade. He's a, like, how about this? Jalen Polk and Xavier Leggett, two guys I had never heard of before the start of this. He's never heard of them. And they're both second round prospects, right? Yo, yo now you throw in Devontae Walker, who's just, and then he's going to be a second. Like, there are, there are going to be 10 wide receivers drafted in the second round, six in the first, 10 in the second. We got 16 going. But, right? Yeah. Keeping it simple, he's a great prospect. I think, you know, easily uh, a day two pick. I was like, maybe first round. I don't think so. I I, I really think he's more uh, a second. I don't think he gets out of the second round, especially with how well he's going to test. Success of DK Metcalf helps. He goes top 64, and I think he goes uh, ahead of where DK went. So I am glad you liked him as well, because I I was a big fan. So when you gave him that grade, uh, I was happy about that. His teammate, Nick Gargiulo. He's a guard. Now he's playing yeah. center. There's a mix. I don't know. I didn't see the Florida game. I didn't catch any of it, so I don't know if they put him at center for that game. That was what I heard, that they were going to play him at, at, at some center. So, unfortunately, when I gave him to you to do the report on, he had only played guard. Then I hear he's playing center. But you could tell, and he played, uh, or previously was at Yale, uh, played t- left tackle and then center for them, then switched to South Carolina, made the transfer there. So, Nick Gargiulo, take me through him. Yeah, he did play center the other day against Florida. Uh, obviously, I, I should start by giving him props for making the transition from Yale to South Carolina and still having like a pretty high floor as a player. Uh, fundamentally, he's very sound. I'll give him props for that. Issues with him, though, the awareness is really inconsistent. And he does not have the play strength that I would love to see in a, a guard. So playing center might actually be good for him in that sense in the long term. I give him a late fourth to early fifth round grade. Because there were there were flashes. The the Georgia tape is really good. And there are a lot of good moments there. He does get beat by power occasionally by Nazir Stackhouse, but he also puts Nazir on his butt once or twice. Like there are a couple of good moments in that game where yes, there's something here with this player that made me really think he had the ability to uh play next level. And even like uh Mikel Williams, like he he had beat whenever Mikel was against him, he beat him. He did not lose to him the entire game. So I felt really good with that tape for Nick. And then you put it on the Tennessee tape, and you're like, all right, it's Tennessee. Like, it's, it should not be too bad. And then he's getting, like, full rush into the backfield, 
blowing up run plays because he can't hold like the point of the point of attack. It's just not. It was it was frankly awful tape to watch for him. Uh, he looked totally overpowered at times, and it looked like he was really getting shocked by like the strength in the hands of some of these Tennessee defenders. Uh, Omar Norman Lot, I should give a shout out to him for Tennessee. He really had a couple of good plays uh, against Nick. So those are the and Bryson Easton as well for Tennessee. Those players had some good moments against him. Uh, so I think that this is a, a backup guard in the NFL. I just think play strength or a, maybe a backup center. I don't know yet. Uh, we'll see about that, how the rest of the year goes. Uh, I, I just say like he has good basic technique in terms of block framing, hand placement, pad level. Uh, all that stuff is good. It's where you expect it to be for a player of his veteran caliber. He's polished in all those areas. I just think that the physical limitations in terms of the play strength, because he entered college like, 30 or 40 pounds lighter than he is now. So he's bulked up a lot over the course of his time in college. Uh, but I, I don't think he's going to have consistent NFL play strength to always hold up at the point of attack and always be a proficient run blocker. And then in terms of the awareness, uh, he had late responses to stunts and his, his post-snap diagnosis was not where I thought it should be, especially for a player who's played as much football as he has. That was a bit of a concern as well. So I, I think mid-day three is probably the range. Yeah, I thought that area of the team was a little better at Yale. And, you know, you're transitioning to playing SEC guys. They're much faster. But granted, you're going to then next season, you got to make the jump to the NFL. So it's not like anything eases up. Um, you know, got good size. You know, over 220 pounds. You know, he's going to come in with good height. He's got 34 inch arms, which uh, I was surprised they were that long. Um, but, you know, he's got good legs. Guard center versatility. From the outside, we never are super high on these guys, right? Fourth, fifth round. And I even lean more towards, you know, Georgia tape was really good. And when I did my eval on him, I had done it through the Georgia game. And then I looked at PFF and he's got a 50 grade for the Tennessee game. I'm like, uh-oh. So I was like, I'm just not going to watch it. But I ended up with a fifth round grade on him. And I think, you know, with the way, like, you know, you saw last year, granted, it was mostly the Patriots. But the way the interior offensive lineman went off the board in that fourth round, I could see it. I could also see him being a sixth. But I just think with his versatility, just being he can play guard and he can play center. He's got a lot of experience. He made the transition to the SEC, has been South Carolina's best offensive lineman. He'll go to the senior bowl and, or you know, east west and he'll play decently well at center. Probably, you know, it's not super difficult to look good as an interior offensive lineman there. It's easy, you know. You either look bad or you look like you, you just don't make many mistakes. I don't think he will. He'll be fine. And he goes in the like late fourth round, early fifth round, and is viewed as a backup. Right? And those are quality players in the league. And it's not sexy. We are who we who don't draft them and don't right. We're not like, oh, look at this guy who can play, you know, three different positions as a backup. This is awesome, right? When NFL teams were really like that. He is a leader. He was a captain at Yale. He comes to South Carolina. He won some award. That was like the off-season hard worker award, whatever they have. Uh, and right, he's everything I've heard. You know, high character kid. So I, yeah, I think there's a shot he goes in the fourth round. I wouldn't necessarily take him there, but hey, we need depth on the offensive line. I think you know, and I think he could be a seven, eight year pro as a backup. I really do. I think he's got that kind of, of ability, which is great. I just don't think he has starter upside. Um, I, I really don't. So. Which means, you know, with offensive linemen especially, he'll probably be starting six games as a rookie. So, you know, it's just like, you know, I don't think he could start. And then they all end up having to start. (laughs) You know, that's just how it works. Uh, 
Yeah, injury injuries by the end of training camp will make sure that he sees opening. He'll be the week one starter or something like that. That's just how it goes. But no, he, he also played tackle at Yale for a little bit too. So he's got that in his bag. Not that he'll play tackle in the NFL, but he has played now everywhere along the offensive right. line. Yeah, no, so he's got he's got the versatility. So uh that that's what I like. So uh, I'm glad you we were in that same range and He'll probably maybe go higher than we think, but you just don't know how teams will view a backup. If it's the Patriots, they'll probably go second round the way that they seem to draft, you know, interior offensive linemen who were backups. And, you know, he'd honestly probably start for them right now. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But uh, Marcus Harper, Oregon, we, we know they played yesterday. It's, it's not like, you know, Washington has anything special along the interior. They got more um, pass rushers from the outside. Granted, I thought their interior did okay at times, but. Yeah, Oregon did run all over them. So um, thoughts on Marcus Harper, um, you know, hit where you're at with him. Yeah, I gave him a mid fifth to mid sixth round grade. So lower, I'm lower on him than Nick. Uh, I did listen to some of his interviews because supposedly he's got a very like funny and good personality. And he is a funny guy. Like this will be a player that you'll love in meetings, I think. Uh, so just want to give him props for that. In terms of being an actual player, he maintains a low pad low. He's got a thick lower half too with a wide base. Uh, sturdy lower frame to really help him anchor against power. He's got good pop in his hands, too. His hands are pretty heavy, and he can throw violent punches and really showcase his physicality in the trenches, and he plays through the whistle as well. He put a lot of defenders on the ground left and right against Texas Tech, too. Like That was an impressive tape for me. He's willing to wash defenders down the line. He's got some good top speed, too, in the open field. There was one clip, I think it was Texas Tech, where he's sprinting downfield to try to help out a running back like 20 yards downfield. And that's when you really have to see him open up. So he does have some good speed as well. Uh, and again, that play strength helps him seal rushing lanes pretty easily. And he's able to dig it out and displace some three techs. The negatives, the arm length is not great from what I could tell. Uh, I thought Colorado really beat him up. And I know like Oregon was beating up on Colorado most of the entire day. So the fact that there's one, there's one Oregon offensive lineman getting beat up by Colorado stood out to me a little bit. Uh, I don't think he has ideal lateral foot quickness. I think this footwork stalls in pass protection at times. It's not great at framing blocks and not really great at sustaining them either. Uh, he'll get caught leaning a lot. Uh, and he'll get when Lyman get into his chest, he'll be able to get walked back to the quarterback. He's not great at protecting his chest. The arm length was an issue against Colorado in a couple of games I watched. Uh, he can be late to recognize and redirect for stunts, and he doesn't have the agility to recover in those situations. And defenders are able to separate from his blocks and work back to the football, especially in the running game. Uh, so I think that he's just the limited player, late day three guy, in my opinion. Good personality. I think teams will like him, uh, but I don't think he has the upside to really be a rotational player in the next level. So I think day, late day three kind of player. Uh, so he's 6025, 313 with 32 and a half inch arms. He come in with 10 inch amps, but yes, the, the arm like not great. Center, where where would your thoughts be on him? I know they have Jackson Powers Johnson, so they don't play him at center. But if he were to go back to school, maybe play center next year if Jackson comes out. Where would your thoughts be on him as uh, a center? That would be intriguing transition. Uh, I think would limit some of the agility concerns, and you don't have to maybe detect and redirect for as many stunts and stuff like that. Uh, I think that that's still. The situation where you're gonna be play, you're gonna be dealing with some power that might be too much for you in terms of nose tackles. Mm-hmm. There are certainly matchups against NFL teams where you don't have to deal with that as much. But if you go against like a 
I know we're throwing out like an all pro name, but like a Dexter Lawrence or someone like of that caliber, you're gonna get destroyed. And I, I just think he's still like even at center. I think he's still a back. I don't think he's gonna be a starter at any position for you along the line. No, I, I think that yeah, I just was more interested at um, center if you know he comes back and just adds another position, right? What we just talked about with Gargiulo. You know, it just adds, hey, he can do this, right? And if you see it, then it gives you more versatility of, hey, being a backup. Because people don't realize with offensive line, you just, nobody pays attention. To it. They get hurt all the time. They always are hurt. Like every week, there's like half the offensive lines. You're like, you, there are names you don't even know who are starting because they're down to their third, you know, right guard. Or they're down to this play, right? So you could stick around for a really long time as an offensive lineman. But then there's also the part where they're always hurt. So it's like you're just a mismatch of a group. So that's why versatility along the offensive line is so critical for teams. They do not like to take center only. Those guys fall. If you're a center only and you're not viewed as a day one starter or an early, you know, like your two starter, you're going to fall down the board, right? If you can only play tackle, you can't play guard. Or if you, and you're not viewed as a day one starter. So that, that's an impactful thing. So, right. I think, right, should go back to school. He, you know, can still, I think he still has two years of eligibility, but at, at least could go back for, you know, one more year for his retro senior year. So, yeah, no. Uh, that was Marcus Harper. Riley Mills, defensive tackle, Notre Dame. We actually, you, know, you I remember you texted me and you go, hey, what's Riley Mills' arm like? I sent it to you. So it is, for those who want to know, 32 and a half is what he came in at o- over the summer. But, Riley Mills, uh, I was watching him while you were. So, you know, what were your overall uh, thoughts on uh, Riley Mills from your evaluation? Yeah, I'll start, I want to start by saying he didn't grade out well in last night's game, but watching him live, it felt like he was making a lot of plays. And I think he really did show. He did show up well during the live viewing of the game. I think he's a fourth-round player. I don't know if I'd go much higher than that because I think there's a lot of variance in terms of what he could be in the NFL. Uh, the arm length certainly doesn't help. I think you could look at him as a guy who, at his best, is like a rotational penetrating, penetrating three-tech and athletic mismatch for guards. But at his worst, he might not have the play strength to be a high-level run defender, and he just might not have the pass rush plan to really be an elite pass rusher. So I think that's that's why I say fourth round is I don't want to get too involved in it because I don't want to take too much of the risk. Uh, could he be a, a late third-round pick? I think so. I think that's a possibility for him. Uh, the hand usage is really where I think he hangs his hat. He's got really powerful hands. He's an impressive hand fighter and gets engaged with guys early in the play. The hand placement's really good and he's really able to help him help himself win his rush that way. He's got a good rip move. He's got a swim move. Double-handed swipe is his go-to when he has the opportunity. Uh, he'll occasionally use a hump move as well. And he's really good at latching on to offensive line and getting to like the key parts of your shoulder pads and then being able to tear them and rip them down and create a pathway to the quarterback. Uh, so the hand usage to me is where he really, really stands out. And you can see even against USC, there are moments where he's able to kind of shock their linemen with his ability to slash in his hands. I think that's the key to his game. Uh, I think you saw a little bit of his... He doesn't have a ton of power rush moves, but you saw a little bit of that against North Carolina State. And he's able to redirect an alley athlete lineman at times as a pass rusher. Uh, in terms of run defense, he's able to quickly redirect the ball and you see that his post-snap reading diagnosis where the football is going is pretty good. His lateral agility movement skills, I think, are pluses as well at his size. Uh, and I think he's good at dodging linemen who are trying to get vertical on him and trying to really displace him. He showcased some ability to get out of their way and force them to kind of stumble or fall 
Uh, and his ability to stack, peak, and shed and against Duke. And I know, I know it's Duke, but in that game, I thought he was really dominant. I thought he really had a handle on everything against the Blue Devils. The concerns with him are the Ohio State tape, where it looked like he got outreached a lot of times. It looked like he was moved off the ball in the run in the game a lot. And that's really my concern is they just won't have the power, the arm length, or the pad level. Because pad level gets high times. I don't think you'll have the combination of lacking the true power, arm length, pad level. That could be a really big concern in the, in the run game. I think that show up against Ohio State. And I don't think he has the deepest bag of pass rush moves. And he doesn't have a lot of counters either. Uh, so that's why I say more of a fourth rounder. I don't feel that he's definitively going to be a high level year one impact player, but I think he certainly could be. I yeah, the pad level was one of my bigger concerns. I'm not as high on the athleticism, like you know, because he is viewed as this elite athlete, and um, I wasn't there. And right, the pass rush plan really is is not is not there. I he grew on me a lot. Because over the summer, I did not like him. Thought he undraftable. And then you watch all the tape from this year, and game by game, there's like there's certain things from every game that like if you put it all together in one game, <laughs> I would say this guy's a top 100 pick. But there's you know NC State game. All right, there's I can take this from this game that this is a strength. Then the Duke game, but he doesn't show what he did in the NC State game and the Duke game and then Ohio State. Uh, I thought yeah. Not as high on the athleticism, athleticism as you know, the general consensus is. The pad level concerns me a little bit. No pass rush plan. I think he gets washed out uh, at times in the run game. But you know there are a lot of reps that I really did like. And he grew over time that, yeah, I, I'm i not going to give him a definitive grade until after the season just because of the variance week to week. And I still have to, you know, he had one rep that I saw because I wasn't fully watching the, the USD game. But like he just threw an offensive lineman. Um, and I was like, oh, like that was that was an impression. I was like, all right, well, now I'm gonna go watch the Riley Mills film. I look up his PFF grade this morning. It wasn't that good, but that doesn't mean anything because PFF doesn't, you know, take into account traits and you know what were the flash plays and how did he look. It's just you know play by play metrics. So I, I, I he grew on me a lot that he would be probably. I can't say I'll ever go day two on him. I've seen some, you know, top 100 and, and even higher than that, which I, I just. Not there yet. So, yeah, I think early day three, fourth, fifth round is kind of where I'd be at. Not a definitive grade yet until after the season. But, yeah, there there was a lot to like. If the arm length was 34, granted, you'd be a different player. But still, like, the arm length's 34. I think I'd feel a little bit differently because the size is awesome, but 32 and a half inch arms just kind of wipes it out a tiny bit. You know, it, 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 it takes a little away from it. So, yeah, Riley Mills. D-tackle Notre Dame. Now, Danny Stutzman, the most famous defensive player in college football right now. Uh, <laughs> the Oklahoma Sooner linebacker. They had that um, unbelievable win against Texas a couple weeks ago. We're on by this past week. Danny Stutzman, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, you talk about the Texas game and being the most famous player in, in college football right now. That quote, I'm certain that one Oklahoma fears God and number two Texas fears Oklahoma. That was that was awesome. Uh, that's going to be something I think we're going to hear a replay of for the rest of our lives. Uh, but no, he is a really good leader. It's like a surprisingly good leader for just a true junior in college. I gave him more of like a mid fourth, early fifth round grade because he's a, he's a really good athlete. But hear me out. You have to be able to defend the run, and I don't think he does that at a very high level. Uh, so my concerns with him 
is he's a really athletic linebacker. He thrives flowing sideline to sideline. So anything out like any kind of wide zone, yes. But if you're looking at someone like going to run vertical at him or run gap at him, like it's it's not going to go well. Uh, his run fits are really inconsistent, and he does not know how to get off blocks. Simply put, like he can get off tight end blocks occasionally, not all the time, sometimes, and he cannot deal with offensive alignment in his lap whatsoever. And unlike some guys who are good at ducking around those blocks and avoiding and evading those climbing linemen, he does not do that. His awareness of offensive linemen and blockers and where they are is not good. He gets blindsided a lot of times and he doesn't have the short area agility to really get out of the way and avoid those blocks. Even like agility wise, trying to make a tackle in the open field against the ball carrier or trying to make a tackle in the hole doesn't always go his way. So he doesn't have that quick twitch agility. In those situations, again, he's got a lean, he's got a lean frame. He's tall, but he has a lean frame, uh, and his eagerness to get downhill often leads to him filling the wrong gap, or it leads to him getting sucked down by play action and allowing a pass over his head in coverage. Uh, I I just don't think he has the play strength, the block deconstruction skills, or really right now the I hate to say football IQ. That's really not right, but the the instincts to really be an impact starter, impact player at the NFL level. I view the athleticism as a plus because he can get outside the, he can get outside the hashes. He can get wide and deep in coverage very quickly. That's the plus that he can cover a lot of ground in coverage. Uh, and again, working sideline to sideline and run defense is also good, but I don't think that's enough to justify taking him as a top 100 player. Because of the size, 6'4", 241, uh, and he was like making plays. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is, you know, Drew Sanders. And, you know, so I went back and I watched both of their films. So I did Danny and then I watched Drew. And I'm like, it's not like Drew went. And I know it was a surprise he went 67. But Drew was, a, I was like, they're not even in the same stratosphere as a prospect. And as, as a run defender, he can't get off blocks. He really can't. I just don't know. Like, I don't know what to do with him. Yeah, he's athletic. He looks good on the field. The sideline to sideline range is there. If. Yeah, you know, that he had a good TFL against Texas, but it's like it was kind of an easier play. He didn't really do much. You know, if you have a free, you know, free lane, and you just go make the play in the back. Yeah, he is athletic. He is fast. He moves well. I think there are a lot of plays on film where the other team takes advantage of him because he struggles as a run defender. I don't think the agility is there. He can't get off blocks. He's not this. You know, he doesn't. He can't get skinny. He can't avoid them either. So like, offense linemen get to the second level in the Big 12 and are just moving them out of the play. You know, he's sustaining their blocks. He can't get off of them. He can't. He's not an impact run defender. And like, I don't, you know, he, I don't know what to do with him. I really don't. I just don't know if I would draft him. I, I, like, he just wouldn't I necessarily wouldn't. be. He just wouldn't be for me, right? You give grades, right? But if I was the GM, I'd just be like, yeah, let's not have him on. There's nothing like there are teams that love Danny Stutzman. Like he's going to be potentially a high, very high draft pick. So this is just our opinion, right? We don't draft anyway. So it's not right. But, you know, I think both of us were in agreement that, man, he's a playmaker, right? You know, we see like he's got, I think he's got a pick six this season. He's got two interceptions. He's racks up tackles. He's a fun player. You know, Kurt Herbstreet was comparing him to, or like when Dick Buckkiss passed, he was like, Dick Buckkiss would be proud of Danny Stutzman as a player. Like, people love Danny Stutzman. I get it. He's got a fun personality. He's great. Uh, really amazing college player. 
as a, from our evaluations, I just, man, I really was hoping for more. Uh, and I just there, like, there's a couple plays where I was like trying to get convince myself that, all right, maybe he's something, but just, yeah, as a pure evaluation, he's another guy that I want to see. I, I, it's different than Riley Mills. Riley Mills, I want to see more because I see bits and pieces that make me think, all right, I see the flashes. I just don't know with Stutzman. This is not going to change the rest of the season. And I don't know if he's going to go back to school. So I just am concerned a lot as a run defender. I don't think we're talking about this elite cover guy who's just going to be, or like, he's not that, I don't think he's a, a amazing blitzer either, like, or anything special in that regard. So I just not yeah there with him. Yeah. Day three, probably like for us, mid day three is the, the peak, I would say for us. And not not a player out of draft. I just don't see his pathways to the field. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I see his pathways to the field. Play for the Pittsburgh Steelers and play in a linebacker room like that. You probably will see playing time. But uh, there are, there are enough bad linebacking rooms in the NFL where he might see the field. But should he see the field in the NFL? Probably not. Not not early in his career, at least. No, yeah, we're just yeah. You know, he there are a lot of linebackers in his class that we like, and you know. He's, you know, has a chance to definitely be a top 100 pick. I think a lot of people view him as a top 100 pick. Uh, I just think when you go through the film and really evaluate him, I don't even think he goes back to school next year. How I just think this is who he is, and I just think physically, you know, he'll he'll probably test well enough, and he's got the size, leadership, and I think he'll be viewed maybe as a top 100 pick. But I really just didn't see. I want to love Danny Stutzman. I just couldn't see it. So. He'd be a guy, whatever grade I throw on him, I just, if I was in the, you know, if I was a GM, I just probably would want other linebackers, especially with day three. You can find guys you really like um, who end up on day three. So, yes, um, that was Danny Stussman. So, Xavier Leggett, both very high on him. You have second round prospect, Nick Gargiulo, early day three. Uh, early to mid day three, but someone who could be a backup. Marcus Harper probably goes back to school. Riley Mills, we'll see. A lot of season left for Notre Dame. They, we don't know what we're going to get from them on a week-to-week basis. And then Danny Stutzman, maybe not for us, but uh, uh, it's a fun college player. And then, so that is it. Thank you for listening to the Draft Report. Catch us every Wednesday talking all things NFL draft related.